we we had about two or three uh, three uh, DVDs uh, of the uh, DHT that we haven't done. We might do one of them at another time. Uh, and I, um, the reason why we didn't want to show one of them is sometimes when the kids are in here, uh, and there's no kids in here now because they're having their their bash back there. But uh, he he was going to get into emotional type healings where uh, he'll use all illustrations you know, that uh, you know women who might have gotten trouble or uh, you know been raped or whatever. Then then he would go on and talk about other things that it's okay to talk about so you know how to minister to them but I just didn't want to play that with some kids in here then then on the on, on the way home in the car they say mama what does this mean <laughs> so um, aren't y'all thankful I didn't do that because <laughs> that can happen too can it so um, <clears throat> so what we've done is because out of 18 18 uh, videos uh, we've uh, I've, I've watched uh, one whole set this whole set, and I've been to one live, and I still like everything. You just don't, you just don't get it, all all in one setting. You keep. You ever watch something, even if it's a movie, and you watched it before, you, you just didn't notice that part of it, and uh, and especially you ladies, you know, especially if you got kids or grandkids, because, you know, a child if they have a, a choice between a mom and a dad, they're always going to call the mother. But anyway, that's. Uh, that happens a lot, so I know y'all get interrupted, and and so um, tonight <clears throat> I want to take some of the things of the uh, of the curriculum and hit those points if I can do that. And uh, in other words, this is this is not the main points out of 18 lessons, but these are the main points because we're we're wanting to uh, get ready to uh, gear up to doing some things outside the building. And it's just important that we hit some of these main points that uh, may be different from what we've always learned. Uh, when I say we, I mean, you know, just growing up, or if you're in church, you might have been taught one way. And if you haven't watched any of the of the 18, then then you wouldn't even know what I'm talking about. So I want to hit the main points. Um, but anyway, so repetition's good. I was reading this thing about, uh, y'all ever heard of Dr. Caroline Leaf? She's deep, ain't she? Now you're talking about deep. She wrote a book, uh, and, and she said, I made it really simple uh, for, um, you know, instead of using all of her, her uh, doctor terms, it's about this long. She said, I just try to make it really simple. And so I bought the book, and I was reading it, and I'd read a paragraph, and I said, oh, when does the simple begin? <laughs> and, you know, she's trying to, help you understand the brain and how it works and she was you know she's been on a lot of shows and she was on with brother coping for a couple of weeks and and I could get part of it and then and I'd lose her and then and then so I said well I'll just get the book maybe the book simpler it's like the show but uh, you just have to take it in but anyway here's what she says about repetition she said there's an old saying that repetition is the mother of memory this is true each time something is repeated it actually brings out an old memory adding to it and putting it at the forefront of your memories. So as we, she said, as we have seen it, it's important to think the right thoughts, which are healthy thoughts. Repetition is actually part of the process of rewiring your brain circuitry. Each time you repeat something, you're actually creating a stronger memory of it or thought. Each time you repeat something, you make it easier to remember and repeat the next time a situation or incident reminds you of it. The more times you think or say a statement, the easier it gets and the closer to a habit it will now become. We always tend to think in the term of a stronghold in a negative way, and that is usually rightfully so, but technically a stronghold could be a positive, constructive thought pattern. What you believe is the strongest, or what we believe the strongest is a stronghold, whether it's right or, or wrong. She says repetition is likely the number one key to renewing your mind and should be practiced often as possible even to the point of making a strong habit so um, that's cart sometimes so uh, if I said that to say this we uh, we are gonna hit some things tonight and I'm just gonna read some things to you 
Uh, this was actually, uh, and I don't know who it is, this is actually written uh, a teaching. They, t they took Dr. Curry's, doctor, they took Blake Curry's teaching. He may be a doctor, I don't know. Uh, but I don't think he'd, he'd I, don't, I, don't, I met him, I don't think he'd let you call him that, but anyway, he, uh, or me call him that either. So he, uh, someone took his teaching out of all the DHTs and made it into like a, uh, I guess a book or pamphlet or something and covered the main points of the whole teaching. Um, now if you was with them in Dallas, you, you would not be part of their live teams unless you had been, and you had went to, uh, you, you had to see all 18 videos or you had to be in the training because they're gonna be out on the street and they know you're gonna f finally come across someone and they're gonna tell you, well, yeah, but this. Well, yeah, I need healing, but this. Or yeah, I need prayer, but you don't understand. And if your thinking was along this line, you might think, wow, that, I don't know if I can get them healed. So if you don't diffuse that stuff, you see, can you see the problem? And so I just wanna hit some of those main points. And the, and the more that you, the more that you go, the further you see. So, I'll just start off. It's called. Uh, sounds like a, a book that Andrew Rowan wrote called "You Got It." And they make a, they make a, um, took a statement uh, from Watchman Nee. If you never heard of him, and he's he's passed years ago. He says, "Oh, the folly." Watchman Nee says they took a quote from him. "Oh, the folly of trying to enter a room." that you're already in. <clears throat> so this is, once again, taking Curry Blake's teaching and putting it into a teaching so it could be taught and someone could, could get the finer points. He said, in, so he says, in recent years, I've noticed an increasingly prevalent orphan mentality within the church. It's a way of thinking that reduces sons and daughters to slaves and beggars. We are constantly crying out to God, begging him to give us more. We want more of his presence, more of his mantles, more of his anointings, more open heavens, more power, more authority, and more spiritual gifts. We seem to think that God is withholding his blessing from us until we have completed a sufficient amount of begging, pleading, or fasting. To believe this is to miss the heart of God. See, he is your dad and he loves you. He wants you to be blessed more than you want to be blessed. So we spend so much time asking God for more that we miss what he has already given us, which is everything. Then he quotes uh, Ephesians 1, 3, which is, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus. Now I'm doing Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with every... He, ha he hath blessed us. He hath, not will. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in places in Christ. And then it goes on to say, uh, then gives another scripture, Second Peter one three, seeing that, seeing that he hath his divine his divine power, has granted unto us everything pertaining to life and godliness, and it comes through the true knowledge of God. So that's that's Second Peter one three, that he hath already past tense, uh, granted unto us through his power, everything that will pertain to your life on earth and godliness hath granted everything that will pertain to your time here on earth and godliness and it comes to you through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and virtue so it goes on to say the orphan mentality has become so common that we boast in the lord that we hunger and thirst for god i know we covered this but once again repetition jesus did not come so that we could hunger and thirst you can get an argument out of that if you want to, as I'm just telling you. <laughs> you can go to many churches and say, do y'all hunger and thirst for God? Oh, yes. <coughs> uh, wouldn't be hard to get an argument out of this. Y'all agree with this? Watch here. So the orphan mentality says that, um, that we hunger and thirst. Jesus did not come that you would hunger and thirst. He came so that you would be filled to overflowing. John 6, 35 says this, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me 
will never thirst. That seems to contradict it, doesn't it? We're hungry, Lord, we're just so hungry and thirsty. That sounds right, doesn't it? But Jesus said, I've came as the bread of life. If you'll come to me, you will never hunger. If you come to me, you'll never be thirsty again. So, <clears throat> Curry Blake would say it this way. So, Jesus promises that if we go to him, we will never hunger. If we believe in him, we will never thirst. If you are always hungry and you're always thirsty, my question to you is where are you going to eat and drink? Does that sound like Curry Blake? Okay. Jesus does not want you to be desperate. He wants you to be completely satisfied. Satisfaction is not the point at which a Christian life starts to die. When we... <clears throat> And, uh, you know, some people say, well, when someone gets satisfied, they get complacent and then the thing begins to die off. But he says satisfaction, no, is not the point at which your Christian life starts to wane or die. As many teach, it is the point where you start to grow. When we realize what we've been given, it is impossible to remain desperate and hungry. So most Christians have spent a great deal of time on their knees praying prayers along these lines. And here's some of the things they might say. God... Come be with us, sir. Come be with me. Be with me today. Lord, just fill us up. Fill me up, Lord. You ever heard that in church? If you've been there, right? How about this one? You've heard this and you've heard it in songs all the time. Lord, let your presence fall in this place. You ever heard a song say that? The problem with these prayers is that you are rooted in unbelief. Because he's already with you. You've already been filled. There's not a place in existence in which he is not present. When we ask God to do what he's already done, you are simply telling God that you don't believe he's ever done it in the first place. Okay, Curtis, he is a little bit. Easy. Jesus was extremely clear about where he was going. Now, listen, Jesus was extremely clear about where he was going to spend his time post-ascension, before he ascended, you know, after he ascended to, back to the Father. He said, so he's clear about where he's going to spend his time. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always. I will be with you always until the end of the age. If that's literal, where is he? He's with you, right? I mean, that's not deep, right? So if he's with us, we're trying to call him down or get him to show up. Come be with us. Come feel me. And a lot of times the, uh, you know, the, uh, the passage gets when it Moses who said, Lord, if you're not, not going to be there, don't send me anywhere your presence is not. And so you, there's a lot of sermons out of that. Lord, don't send us a place if you're not there. And if you're not, if you're not going to go with us when we go. In other words, there was going to be a war going on, Moses is talking about in Joshua. So if you're not going there, then don't send us. That's, that's definitely old covenant. Can you see that? Lord, if you're not going to be there, then don't send me there. He, but see, new covenant, where does he live? He lives in you. So see how we got this old covenant and new covenant? And um, you and I were talking about this yesterday. I mean, I was telling Michelle about this one time. I said, you know, we're just talking about, well, we're just going to be faithful or try to be faithful. Well, is the Lord faithful all the time? He is. Aren't we supposed to be faithful all the time? <clears throat> but what if I just told my wife, I said, I'm going to do my best to be faithful to you from now on about 80% of the time. <coughs> Would that work with most wives? Okay, let me, let me do that. I will be faithful to you 90% of the time. 10% of the time, I might be somewhere else. Will that work? Well, y'all are picky. You ladies sound like, I will be with you. I will be faithful to, to you as my wife 99% of the time. There's only one, maybe 1% 1 of the time. Will that work? So it's all in or all out, right? But we don't think the Lord is as faithful as we expect each other to be to each other. I'm going here. Are you going to go? If I come there, are you going to be there? Will you be here if I'm in trouble? Will you come if I go over there? So we don't, we don't get this that he's with you all the time. 
It's because we've, and we'll get to it, we've attached a feeling to it. And so when we don't have that Holy Ghost feeling, <laughs> did y'all feel that? Then we figure he's just in heaven somewhere, right? Now watch here. So your spirit and his spirit have been fused together. Uh, think of it this way. And we ministered this a while back. God has red paint. And you're yellow paint. And now you're fused together or mixed together. What color are you now? You're orange. Right? God's yellow, you're red. If you mix those two together, they become one, and now you have orange paint. No one can tell where the red ends and the yellow begins. Together you have become a single new color. This is not a reality only for those who spend the right amount of time praying or fasting. This is a reality for every follower of Jesus, whether they realize it or not. So if you get one more drop of God, you will have more of God than God has of God. That takes your brain and does what? If, God, if you say, God, give me more, then you will have more of him than he has of him. No, I got really quiet when I did that. When you were saved, you did not receive a piece of God. You received all of him. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says it this way. For in him, Jesus, the whole fullness of a deity dwells bodily. The whole, the whole deity of Jesus dwells bodily, or Jesus dwells what? In a body. And you have been filled, your body has been filled in him who is the head of all real authority. So the deity of God lives in a, is incarnate, that's what lives in, or incarnate, taken on, take, you know, in other words, the Holy Spirit has, has taken on your flesh. Jesus was the incarnation of God. It was God who was personally present in Christ. The scripture says God was in Christ. So God was incarnate or he invested himself in the body of Jesus. Now that same God by the Holy Spirit has invested himself and you are the incarnation of God. So we couldn't say, Lord, don't send me there to minister so-and-so if you're not going to go with me. Well, he would have to well, anyway, let's go. You have been filled with the fullness of God. As a matter of fact, you are overflowing. No matter how much you work, you can never get more God than you already have. God is a finite substance. He's not a finite substance, not. He is a person, and no person comes in percentages. Sure, we can become more aware of his presence, and he could choose to manifest himself in more obvious ways. But the person of God is always fully with you, fully in you, and fully joined to you all the time. Whether he's manifesting himself in some mm, way or not, he's fully there. I, uh, I had a, someone call me, um, a friend of mine who visited us, I don't know, about two, three years ago. And he, uh, I was talking to him a couple weeks ago. He said, uh, I've been wanting to ask you, he says, uh, he said, you have a, uh, that picture that the, there's uh, Michelle had bought a picture a long time ago and she had put it in one of the walls in the in the in the den or a different room and he says do you still have that and if you do can, can you tell me what it says I said I don't I don't even I don't even know what it's talking about he said well it says something like this and I said well, where's it at now he states away and he says, it's, it's, it's there in that little that den off, the, off your kitchen. I said, oh, the back den? I said, yeah. I said, well, hang on. Now, I, I live there all, all the time, all the time. And so I went in there, and I started reading. He said, that's it. He said, um, don't you ever look at that? I said, no, I guess I don't. I said, it is good, isn't it? <laughs> and he said, yeah, I, I thought about that often. And he said, when I saw it at your home, he says, it just helped me in a place where I was at at that time. And he says, and I think about it sometimes, but I, I just wonder if I wrote it down right. Well, is that, is that picture with us? It's not a person, but is it in the home all the time? Has, is, is it still saying the same thing yesterday, is it today, and I guess tomorrow? Am I receiving any benefit from it, obviously? No, but someone 700 miles away is. 
who, who saw it two years ago. And uh, so God is with us all the time. Can we forget that? Is he capable of fixing anything or handling anything? And if he does it, he's going to do it from within you. And we can forget that. Now, he can manifest himself in ways that we do feel things, and that can be enjoyable. But if he's not doing that, does that mean he's not there? You can have an infant, a small baby, just brought it home from the hospital, and they can go to sleep and be quiet, and you don't even know they're in the room. But if they're an infant, probably within two hours you're going to know they're there because they eat like every, what, two or three hours, kind of on the clock. They don't want to ask you, did you get enough rest last night, Mama, because, you know, I just, do I need to give you a little more time, take a night off? I mean, so at one moment you can't hear them. That's why you put a baby monitor just to make sure, right? Because you can't hear nothing. It's like they're not even in there. But in two hours, you've got a full baby in there. You know you do. No doubt about it. Get my point? So he went on to say, so it's important to remember that your relationship with God is not based on feelings. Rather, it's based on faith. If you measure your relationship with God by the number of goosebumps you get in your last quiet time, you will constantly require greater encounters to feel connected to him. God is just as present in times of silence as he is when your hair stands on end and your toes curl up. Under the old covenant, God would visit his people on occasions. Under the new covenant, he lives with every one of his people. Being a Christian is not about intermittent encounters, like you put your wipers on intermittent just every now and then. No, it's about constant union. That said, it's obviously nothing wrong with having these awesome encounters with God. The key to having these encounters is simply to realize that Jesus has already put you smack dab, now you know this is crazy, smack dab, in the middle of the greatest encounter with God that you could ever experience. You are already wrapped up in the glorious presence of the Lord. You are already seated in heavenly places with Christ. You are already filled to overflowing with the presence of God. And you are already one with him. You don't need to do anything. You simply need to become aware of reality through faith. If you want to have an encounter with God, become aware of the encounter that you're already having, and it will manifest to the degree that you're aware of it. Did you get that? Then we'll drive the point home a little bit more. The book of Habakkuk... Chapter 2, verse 14 says, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You ever heard that verse? It's not the glory of the Lord that's going to fill the earth. It's the knowledge of the glory. So let me read the verse again. Because a lot of times it gets quoted. I know we've ministered on this and Because a lot of times it said, it, it says, you know, the Bible says the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth and as the waters cover the sea. It's close, but it's not the same thing. It says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And then it will cover the waters as the sea. That's a lot different than just saying the glory is going to cover. Right? So it's not the glory of the Lord that, that will fill the earth. It's the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. The glory, is ready, is already, the glory is already here. Now you need to become aware of it. See, people seek an encounter. In other words, seek what you already have, and you'll have an encounter. Anyway, I'm trying to shut my mind down. From, um, open heavens. Let's talk about open heavens. Here's another popular, here's another popular waste of time. <laughs> Trying to rip, pray, and fast the heavens open. We already have wide open heavens through the sacrifice of Jesus. And no amount of your praying, no amount of your fasting can open them any more than they already are. Now I want you to listen real closely to this. I know it's Wednesday. And <coughs> It's not that it's deep. It's not. It's just that I want you to catch this. 
Mark 15, 37, 38 says this. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last breath, of course. And the veil of the temple was torn in top, was torn in two, from top to bottom. You've probably seen this on movies, you know, on some of the, you know, some Easter or whatever, you know, or the uh, the Passion of the Christ, you know, where you see, at his death, you saw they showed probably a scene where the, the veil was torn from top to bottom. Okay, that's the scripture. During the time of Jesus' incarnation, when God was in Jesus, the temple in Jerusalem was the center of all Jewish religious life. It was the place where animal sacrifices were carried out and worship, according to the law of Moses, was followed after that faithfully. In the temple, a veil, a veil separated the Holy of Holies. In other words, there's the outward animal sacrifices, but then there's a veil to go into the holy place, the holy. Which was the earthly dwell. So in the veil, behind the veil, if you want to open up the veil, there's the dwelling place there of the presence of God. From the rest of the temple where men dwell. So, the, so man, mankind's out here. The holies of holies is in the, is in the center core. No one can walk back there but just certain priests at certain times under certain conditions. So it's going through the veil, okay? The event described in Mark 15 in which the veil is torn in two is extremely significant to you. Hebrews 10, 19, and 20 says this, Therefore, brethren, since you have confidence now to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for you through the veil, that veil is his flesh. So we're not talking about fabric anymore, right? We're talking about the veil is his flesh. He'll make it clearer. When Jesus died, the temple veil which stood between the presence of God and man was torn in two. One more time. When Jesus died, the temple veil which stood between the presence of God and the presence of man, because man was shut out, that veil was torn in two. Hebrews tells us that Jesus' body was the veil. His, his body being the veil was torn open for you. Through Christ's body, we now enter into his presence of God. So there's no longer anything standing between us. Jesus destroyed all closed heavens on the cross. His body was torn so that you could go into his body and you're the body of Christ. There is no such thing as a closed heaven in the new covenant. God, come be with us tonight. <laughs> Go as we go. <clears throat> Here's your one, Jacob's ladder. Genesis 28, verses 12 and 13, we read about a dream that Jacob had in which a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Remember that? The land in which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. In John 1, Jesus makes a remarkable statement related to this dream. John 1, 48 through 51, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him. And Jesus said of him, he said, Behold, an Israelite, indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you there under the fig tree. Nathanael said unto him, Rabbi, you, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said this unto you, that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? He said, I tell you, he said, you will see greater things than these. And he said unto him, truly, truly, I say unto you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
Jesus is Jacob's ladder. You have Mr. Open Heaven living inside of you. The only closed heaven that exists for Christians can be easily located between their ears. <laughs> Sound more like Curry Blake now? <laughs> His last video would be about anointings. This is just a smattering of it. <clears throat> a large portion of the church has spent a lot of time chasing greater anointings. This is always true when you get a general goes home. I know when Brother Hagin went home, they cut him up in so many pieces. I'm carrying, I'm carrying, I'm carrying that anointing, that anointing, that anointing Brother Hagin's anointing. It came on me. God showed me this and God showed me that. I thought, man, I didn't know Brother Hagin would be cut so many pieces. He's a big fella, but he went that big. And um, <clears throat> so a large portion of the church has spent a lot of time chasing greater anointings. If the church would stop chasing after the imagery more and start using the anointing they already have, they would see the manifestation of everything that they're after. You have God living inside you. So what else do you need? This idea that we need to press on in for greater anointings is absolutely ridiculous. You ought to go sit in the curry seminar for about three days, six hours a day. <laughs> it's like, okay, what, what did you really mean? <laughs> but he gets results. The Bible says that you have been made complete in Christ, Colossians 2.10. It said that you've been given all things to pertain to life and godliness, 2 Peter 1.3. It says that you've been given every spiritual blessing to heavenly places, Ephesians 1.3. It does not say anything about pressing in for more. Jesus has already pressed in for you. The number one reason Christians are unable to heal the sick, raise the dead, preach the gospel, perform miracles, prophesy, etc., etc., is because they believe they lack something. Half the church is chasing greater anointings, trying to gain some extra spiritual power so that they can finally do what Jesus already commanded them to. Did Jesus give you a job to do without giving you the ability to do it? You have been called and you have been equipped. If you had the slightest idea of how much firepower you were packing, you would never ask God for more again. You would be too preoccupied using everything that you already have. I assure you the anointing you have right now is more than enough to destroy every work of the devil and turn the entire world upside right because it's already upside down. Faith, not feelings. 1 John 2.27 says, As for you, the anointing which you have received of him, it abides in you. So you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has been taught, you abide in him. So the anointing that you have received, it is an abiding anointing. That was in that verse. The anointing that you receive abides in you. The anointing, 1 John 2, 27, the anointing that you received in him, it abides in you. So the anointing that you received, it's an abiding anointing. I'm trying to make a point, you can tell, right? <clears throat> Which means it does not come and go. Which means it does not wane. Which means it does not lift. Which means it just remains. When you feel the anointing, you are anointed. When you don't feel the anointing, you are still anointed. The anointing is not a feeling. The anointing is a person. The anointing is Holy Spirit, and you are his temple. The church is hooked on feelings. We think that when the anointing comes... Our hands start vibrating, our knees shake, and we get the anointing feeling in our belly. The next thing you know, the heavens open, the voice of God says, Now, use it quick before it wears off. <laughs> run, run, run. Lay as many hands on people as fast as you can before the anointing lifts. And we have to go back and do it by faith. 
help me, Jesus. <laughs> the fact that you're anointed is, is just that. It's a fact. The anointing is not dependent on how you feel. You can heal the sick, raise dead, cast out demons, prophesy, preach the gospel on a good day or a bad day, whether you feel anointed or whether you do not. Now, here's another verse. You know, you know the verse, Galatians 2.20? It says, I've been crucified with Christ. This is Paul. was talking about of us. It's no longer I who live, Paul said, but it's Christ who lives in me. But the life which I am living, Paul says, in the flesh, I'm living by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Christ means the anointed one. True? Y'all with me? You want to agree with that so far? Christ means the anointed one. That means that Jesus Christ translates to Jesus the anointed one. I know this is not deep, but I want to get this point. Christ means what? The anointed one. That means that Jesus Christ translates to Jesus, Jesus Christ, the anointed one, translates to Jesus, who's the anointed one. Galatians 2.20 tells us that we no longer live, but Mr. Anointing lives within us. You are anointed because you are filled with the anointed one. Jesus is, is, is Jesus always the anointed one? Is, is Jesus always anointed? Good days or bad days? Jesus is always anointed. We can all agree on that for sure, right? Even when he moved into you? So why do you want Smith Wordsworth anointing? Why are you wanting William Brown's anointing? Why are you laying on John G. Lake's grave? This is, the, this is the man who has John G. Lake's ministry. I mean, I, I know a lot of folks I went to school with at Raymond. They said, man, we just, we went there and the Holy Ghost told us to go out there and, and I've slept on that grave two nights in a row. And I thought, man, the Holy Ghost led you out there. I identified you. I wouldn't even tell it. <laughs> and I said, and so what's happened since then? Well, we just believe. I said, no, nah, I asked you what happened. I don't, I don't want to know what you believe. I don't know what's happened. You know. I don't know a lot of folks that go to graveyard and sleep in all night long because <laughs> they, you know, they watch too many horror movies. I, I never watched them growing up. I never seen Moby Dick. I never seen Jaws one, Jaws two, Friday Thirteenth. I never saw anything. I did see Bewitched a few times. I didn't like being scared. I was a lover, not a fighter. Isn't that right? That's right. So when you already have the anointing of Jesus, whose anointing do you think that you're running with? Hmm. You are connected to the source. Why do you go to a middleman? Is this okay? Ask, well, I, you know, what he's helping is with you, you're going to go out there and minister to someone like this and all this, and it's going to like... You know, someone's going to say, well, I've got a fever, or I've got a blister, or i got, you know, whatever. My knee hurts. And you say, okay. And someone says, i got, you know, quadruple leukemia, you know. And you're like, oh. You just think you need to gear it up somehow. Then you look, well, I'm not really even a ministry. Well, yes, you are. Well, yeah, but I ain't like the pastor or an evangelist somehow. I'm, you know, I will sit on the fourth row or the, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I <laughs> I received the offering, you know, and hit, hit the banjo over now and then. This, is, this guy's got quadruple leukemia. Uh, Pastor! <laughs> See, but that's not a scripture. See? Where, where does Jesus live? In you. Is he always anointed? Yes. Does it wane? Does he change addresses? Does he ever leave? Is he, are you anointed when you feel like you are? Yes. Are you anointed when you don't feel like you are? So what does that have to do with anything? Nothing. See, it's a fact. It's not a feeling. Now, I, I have felt anointed before, and I like that feeling. I mean, I, I have felt uh, like, can we bottle this up? I want to take some of this to the, you know, just, you know, the, the, the feeling I'm talking about, just, just the feeling, just the, you're saying things, and you think, you know, I'm not that smart. I don't know this. How did I know that? Then I go back and I, I get the tape to make sure it's even scriptural. <laughs> it's like, wow. It, you know, that ever happened to anybody? 
Yeah, you mentioned that, that, that happens. I mean, there's sometimes where you're mentioning someone, you'll feel the anointing. And you'll, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, well, it, it, to be honest with you, it's, it's intoxicating. Well, what they tell me that's like, I'm not sure. But, I mean, they, you know, I, I'm assuming it would be like being intoxicated. You, you're just kind of lightheaded. And, just, you know, and your faculties are kind of, And sometimes they feel that, sometimes they don't. Sometimes you just lay hands on them. And that's the funny thing is when they do feel it sometimes, and they'll, you know, you lay hands on them, and they've never been in an atmosphere, they'll, you know, they're like, well, what did you do to me? <laughs> we had a lady one day went down on, one on fell down on the usher years ago. And I'm just going to tell you, she's a little heavy. No, that ain't true. She's a lot heavy. And she went down on the usher and just so quick. I mean, she was gone. And um, it wasn't like, you know, you're just going to pull her right off. And, and we couldn't hardly see him. And it was, you know, it was like a cartoon, and all we could see was his hand like this, and like this, and a little bit of like, and you could hear, help, help. <laughs> Couldn't see the face. I mean, her back had his face mashed to the floor. I'd walk around, see a little bit of the hair, and I'd see the fingers, help, help. I said, now we taught you how to catch people. That is not how you're supposed to catch them. <laughs> Because when they fall back, see if they get your shoe. See what I'm saying? You there. And if, you know, if she's bumping 500, you there, boy. <laughs> Makes me think about a, a road runner and wild coyote and something falls on them. You got to air them back up. <laughs> Giants into faith. As Christians, we like to call people who live like Jesus giants in the faith. But in reality, there's no such thing. The average Christian is living so far below their potential that when they see a normal Christian doing normal Christian things like keeping the sick, raising the dead, they call him a giant in the faith. And that one wants to call him a pastor and tell him to get him a church. Because they're obeying God two weeks in a row. It's like, man, you must be called to be a pastor. It's like, why do you keep putting, calling people out of their calls because you found someone faithful who wants to do something? Well, we didn't. I mean, they got to be a pastor if they're going to be committed. Dear Lord, <laughs> and maybe some of them are, but I mean that ain't. I'll be honest with you. If, it's, if that does, if it's going to do anything, it's going to slow you down. Because then you're going to be picking out nursery toys, playing the weenie roast, counseling people, painting, plumbing. Be an electrician when you don't know how to be one. That's what's going to hurt when you don't know how to be one. How do I know? Oh, I know. I looked around. I said, they said it, if I just put this and this together, I can do this. Now, I did get those two wires together. But if there was any plaque on my teeth, it was gone. <laughs> So uh, you'll be busy doing a lot of those things that, that you say, well, I didn't get into for that. I wanted to minister, and I wanted to do this. Well, the 90% of the time is when you'll be out, you know, running down errands. Okay. Uh, what about the difference between a normal Christian? So we call them people giants in the faith. The difference between a normal Christian and other Christians is not their level of power anointing. The difference is their revelation. The difference is their revelation of the power and anointing that they carry and their willingness to go use it. It's not the the power revelation. It's the revelation of the power and anointing that they're already carrying inside them and then their willingness to go use it. If you want to live more anointed, act more anointed. It's as simple as that. Michelle, this is where he would have taught. <laughs> that was too funny, and we probably will show that one. Act, just acting when you don't know. Mantles, you ever heard of mantles? Well, in the book of Kings, we're told about the stories of Elijah and Elisha. 
Elijah was a powerful prophet. Elisha was his apprentice. Before Elijah was taken to heaven, in 2 Kings, Elisha asked, was asked, asked him for a double portion. He asked God for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. When Elijah was taken up, his mantle was passed on to Elisha, and with it, the double portion that he requested. After Elisha had died, a, double, a dead body was thrown into his tomb. Remember that? When the body touched Elisha's bones, this dead body came back to life after it touched a dead prophet's bones. Remember that? This story is often used to teach the Christian about how we can receive the Spirit of God through the mantles of other men. Good news, isn't it? All we need to do is move in the Spirit, power of the Spirit, find an anointed saint who's about to die and, and, get, him, and get him to pass on his mantle right before he dies. People even go as far as visit, look at that, visiting the graves of dead saints and attempt to suck the mantle out of the ground. <laughs> I didn't know this was in here. <laughs> I, I find it extremely sad when we look at human beings and the, and the bones of the dead for the power of the Holy Spirit rather than looking to Christ. <laughs> Those who use this story to teach these doctrines forget one important fact. Elijah and Elisha were old covenant prophets. Under the old covenant, the Spirit of God came upon a few select people for a limited period of time. As a result, if someone received a mantle, he would be getting something he didn't have before. Conversely, under the new covenant, every believer has the fullness of the Spirit of God already living within them. As a result, the mantles are not mentioned once, not even one time in the New Testament. There's not one mention of a mantle. If they were as important as some preachers think they are, why didn't Paul mention them at all? Paul never tells us to ask for double portions. We're going to have a double portion tonight meeting. God's going to give double portions. That's, that's a popular thing. That's how you get people to come to a meeting. And then and they just, they've been taught it, and someone else taught it, and someone else taught it, so they just, they don't know. They just, they've been taught it, so they teach it, and they believe it, I guess. Uh, he tells us that we're already complete. Double everything is still everything. Right? You've been made complete in Christ. You've received all, but now God's going to double it. Here's my wallet. Here's all my money. I, I don't have no more money. This, everything I have, that's all of it. This is an illustration, okay? <laughs> I, I don't have no more. That's all of it. That's my savings. That's my CDs, which is my cold drinks, or my corn dog. That's, that's everything. It's right there. Now I'm going to double it. No, not yay. I can't double it. I, don't, I mean, right? How, how am I going to double it if that's it? Right? Can you see how messed up the church is? He tells us we're already complete. Double everything is still everything, and you already got everything. Well, why, don't we have a, why don't we have a triple anointing night? I bet... Now, if you told people, uh, now, Sunday night, we're going to have a special healing service, and it's going to be, and, uh, and the pastor's going to call those who has a healing ministry, God's going to give a triple anointing. They say, that's silly. Now, he don't do that. Now, he gets doubles, but he don't get triples. Because they never heard a triple, right? So they wouldn't accept that. <laughs> right? I mean, they never heard that, right? So they say, that, that ain't scriptural. You meant doubles, right? He's, you know. Maybe they, maybe someone learned it at a bar somewhere. Make it a double. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It came from well, it came from the old cut right there. <laughs> Make it a double. Growing and maturing. All right, I'm almost through right here. When a baby's born, is that baby born complete? Well, okay. Let me read that. The answer is yes. Watch here. When a baby's born, is it a complete human? Okay. I think that's what he's saying. He's born complete, but as he grows up, he needs to learn how to use everything that he has. It's the same in the spirit. When a person is born again, they are born complete in Christ, but that does not mean they are born mature. Okay? They still need to realize everything that they have been born with and then learn how to use it. Growing and maturing is extremely important for Christians. There is, however, a big difference between the way 
that this is commonly taught in the way that it actually happens. We are generally taught that if we are to grow as Christians, we need to do a whole list of things, such as have a 60-minute quiet time per day, share the gospel with four people per week, pray and fast for the, for the nation, abstain from shellfish, and avoid trimming the hedges of our beards, or uh, avoid trimming the edges of our beards. Not you ladies, of course. If we do all these things, we will attain greater degrees of holiness, favor, and anointings, and etc. In reality, maturing as a Christian is not about becoming something more. It's about realizing who you already are. We mature by growing in the revelation of our identity in Christ. We start the process of growing and maturing at the end, so to speak. We are made complete and are given everything when we're born again. We then spend the rest of our time discovering who we truly are. So to grow and mature, we simply need to renew our mind to a new reality. As we realize who we already are, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. Romans 12, 2 says, Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove the will of God, good, acceptable, perfect. You are transformed this is it right here. You are transformed to the, degree, to the degree that your mind is renewed. That means that you walk in a degree of union, freedom, and anointing that you're aware of at that time. That's how much you're walking in, the part that you're aware of. But the baby's complete, right? But it hasn't matured. Uh, these are on the table. Uh, that, that's our lesson, so... Just want to let you know, uh, if you're interested, and, and, and if you're not interested, these are on the table. This is, uh, some of you may already have them. This is an old, if you want to call it confession, that uh, we had, oh gosh, I don't know, 18, 20 years ago. Actually, I got this um, from another minister, I'll just say it that way. And then the more I looked at it, uh, the more I thought I needed to change it, some things. And so I changed it a number of years ago. And then we just somehow, we just, you know, got away from doing it. And now, um, <laughs> about 10 years later, I look at it, even at what I changed, I said, I don't mean agree with that. <laughs> and I see how revelation is progressive by, by your mind being renewed. So this is uh, coming back to Sunday morning about where we're, our new place we're headed. And um, this is part of uh, Genesis 11, 6. They all begin to see the same thing and say the same thing. They begin to imagine, and God says, nothing that they will imagine will be kept from them. So if you don't have it, it's out there, but listen to it. This is, this is the new version. Now, what, what we do with this, we'll... we'll, we'll read it on the screen is that what you're about to do we're going to read it on the screen occasionally but what we used to do with this in our bible is take it and then get a little four pieces of tape on the corner and put it somewhere on the inside of our bible so that if we was going to read it we could just whether we had the screen or not so hopefully you can use it that that way but if you have a bible that you know you you don't feel if the bible's so religious you can't put tape on it then maybe you can put it on your refrigerator Somewhere, you know, something, something was like, there's some tape, and Ellie's willing to share his tape with you. You need to pray over that tape before they use that, because, I mean, I don't know. So here we are. Ready? So we are thankful that God is helping us add to the church daily, such as should be saved. As we, the body of Christ, move with compassion daily share the good news of God's love with others outside of our sanctuary. We will be obedient to the plan of God for our lives and allow Holy Spirit to direct our footsteps to those who are ripe for harvest. According to the word of God, his word will increase and the number of disciples will be multiplied. As co-laborers with God, we confess his glory is manifested through us daily. So there had to be about four things fixed on this because it was more church than it was kingdom. And then uh, when I got it from uh, years ago from a very large ministry, it just said we received this building field. Well, most pastors would have just received their building field. We just, we're open. Come on in. 
but there was no mention of going out and doing anything. And that's really not scriptural. So I changed all that years ago about uh, sharing the good news of God love with others outside our sanctuary. And then we changed this this morning about the glory. We confess, we used to say we confess his glory is manifested to us or in us, but it's already in us. In other words, it's, the problem is now we got some people knowing the glory is in you, but the problem now is we can't get it out of some people. <laughs> so, so here's, but you see in the lesson, like, Christ in you, the hope of glory, I know that. The glory's in you, I know that. The problem is there's some stoppage. <laughs> We're trying to get it out of you and the people. So that's pretty scripture. Maybe in five years I'll disagree with half of this. I don't know, but uh, it, it's simple. Then all this on uh, the word will increase and the number of disciples will be multiplied. All that's what Acts 2, where they were daily in the street. They were daily in the temple. They were, they were breaking bread. They were preaching the gospel. And, and it said the... the was it like Acts 2, 43, somewhere in there? I don't know. And uh, the church multiplied and grew and increased. But it grew as the body was doing something. It did not grow as they were attending church. It grew as the, the body was being a body and functioning. In other words, you have everything, I suppose, on the inside of your body for your body to function. But... If, if your organs stopped functioning, they would still be in there, but we would cease to, to live because they, they wouldn't be moving, right? You could do, an, I mean, if the heart stops, you could say, look at an x ray and say, well, there's the heart. Huh. Well, there's the lung, yeah. Well, there's the pancreas. There's the, but if they're not moving, well, you're dead, <laughs> right? And so you can have a body and know who they are and what they have and all that, but unless that, is put into action, then the body of Christ is not functioning. Amen? All right, so we have Dr. Kim Clout. He is a doctor, actually. Kim Clout here Sunday morning. So uh, uh, we went through a time change. So if no one told you, you need to know by now because tomorrow's Thursday. Time was changed <laughs> over the weekend. <laughs> there was a lot of confused folks about this Sunday. <laughs> but but they're... Uh, but he'll be here at 1030. Uh, I always want to encourage you to be on time. It's respectful to everybody, especially when you have a guest minister. Uh, praise and worship is part of the service. And uh, be there for that. You may think, well, you know, that's just I just come for preaching. Well, stop it. And, you know, because uh, I don't know about you, but uh, so far with me, just personally, uh, some of the three out of probably five of the biggest things in decisions or direction that I needed in, in ministry for me all came into service when I was in a service during praise and worship. Sometimes it would be sitting under the word. Most of them come when I was just not looking and turning my Bible and I was had my heart and my, my focus on him and all of a sudden he said do this. All of a sudden, he says, do that. I was sitting in a service one day, just like this, and I was worshiping the Lord. And all of a sudden, I heard, um, I'm going to give you a car. And what was good about that? I needed one. That's what made it good. And, uh, and because my wife had so many children, uh, we had so many children, um, I needed a minivan. And he said, um, and so he said, I'm going to give you a car. Thank me for it. And I said, I looked around, and uh, I didn't know anybody, really, except Michelle. And I said, did you say something? She says, no. And I said, okay. So I, and I'm worshiping again, you know. And he says, I said, thank me. I'm going to give you a car. I'm going to give you a, a car. And I looked around, people behind me in a different place, and I said, did you not say something? I mean, because it sounded like a male voice to me, but you know, when she gets on to me, sometimes it can sound kind of like a, but I said, did, did, you, did you say something? <laughs> so these men know what I'm talking about. So I said, did, did you say something? She said, no. Shh. I said, okay. So I, so I got real spiritual, and I said, is that you talking to me? He's like, I said, 
if you if you said that, I said, can you tell me what, can you, I don't know why I did this. I said, will you tell me what kind of car it is? And all of a sudden, he showed me a picture. And I thought, and it was a minivan. And there's only one like it. And I said, that's my pastor's van. He said, yeah, and don't tell him until I tell him. I said, oh, you ain't told him. <laughs> he, said, he said, don't tell anybody except your wife. And he said he was trying to tell her, but she wasn't spiritual enough. And no, I was kidding. No, no, just kidding. No, he just told me this. Well, actually, we was at Raymond. We went to get acquainted, just considering going to school there. And they were just praying about all the needs you might have to move here. And that's one thing we needed. And, uh, but I needed so many things, I didn't want to add that to the list. So he only talked about the one thing I wasn't willing to add to the list and worked his way backwards. And then two weeks later, hadn't said nothing, just the two of us knew, thanking God for it. And uh, I was still running the carpet store in Clanton. And he showed up at the business on a Monday morning and said, can, I, can we go eat breakfast? I said, sure. So we went and ate, and he says, uh, the Lord told me yesterday that, uh, you, he said, you knew I had that minivan for sale. And I said, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> he said, well, the Lord told me to, to give it to you all. And I said, oh. And uh, I said, well, when did that happen? He said, yesterday, uh, between AM service and the PM service. And he said, and I told the Lord, if, if you want me to do that, then tell my wife. And I'm not going to tell her. He says, and I was in my chair, relaxing between services. And Tim, she was over at the uh, kitchen cleaning up after lunch. And she looked, she, she says, about five minutes later, she says, you ever wonder if we're not supposed to sell that thing? If we're supposed to give it away? He says, yeah, probably, maybe, why? She says, I think we're supposed to give it. He says, really? Who, who would we give it to? She says, I don't know. Seems like we're supposed to give it to Eric and Michelle. He said, it's God. So then he told her what happened. All those come during the time to just praise and worship. You know, because you're, sometimes you're not as engaged. And uh, so anyway. But uh, if Kim brings some people with, Kim's kind of ministry can really help a lot of people. Uh, he, you know, his, his gifting and his personality is such that he could do surgery on you and cut out a lot of stuff, and you'll be laughing while he is cutting you. <laughs> I mean, he, that is the anesthesia, and he is going to do a bypass or just, you know, rip something out. <laughs> That's her. He's like, and you'll be like laughing. You're like, get that out and get that out of the head, and you're doing brain surgery, pulling that out and helping you get your mind renewed, and you're just laughing the whole time. So this is awesome. So, uh, you know someone who needs surgery like that don't tell them what's going to happen to them but get them here it'll be, it'll be worth their time so all right let's receive the offering before we go i gotta get back hurry and see if john wayne's gonna win i don't know if he will this time it looks pretty bad I put it on pause i don't know how long it'll hold there i'm just kidding just kidding <laughs> This is on the table? That, okay. And there's some tape if you want it. Praise the Lord. All right. Well, Monday spring. Yeah, m Monday, Monday spring. So, uh, anyway, I always like it how ministers use their old pictures. That's pretty accurate. I don't know if he has much hair left. And. Uh, they have several farms, and that's his wife's ministry. And uh, you might have signed up. She has a teaching ministry. She teaches Bible principles uh, with horses, which is pretty amazing. And you can just sign up and 
you'll get it in your inbox or outbox or in-laws or outlaws, how it comes. But uh, I think they still have a lot of uh, kids with, uh, with uh, disabilities um, that they bring to their farm, ranch, whatever you want to call it, and she spends time with them and they ride the horses and she just, uh, that's, that's part of their ministry to them. So uh, I talked to him Monday morning. He said, I can't talk right now. I want to talk with you. I said, oh, you got your Monday morning. He said, yes, hundreds of pounds of manure to get out of here. <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he said, I'll be so glad to come see you this weekend. Say, shovel, bye. <laughs> he said, usually five to 600 pounds a day. I was like, mm, mm. wow, it's too much maintenance for me. <laughs> but anyway, so that's Kim and, and his wife's name, Susan. And yeah, he's a guy with a beard, so. That just a Kim guy, and I don't know if you do. I don't know if you'll do music or not. But he's uh, if Kim did never want to teach anything, he could be a full-time professional musician. And most of y'all have already heard him. But I mean, this he uh, he does not need any lessons on any type of guitar. He knows what he's doing. So maybe he'll play something for us.